welcome Yasmin. Thank you so much, Divya. It's my pleasure to be with you today. So for those of you who don't know Yasmin, and I'm surprised at that, uh, Yasmin has been working with lactation for, I don't want to get into the number, but for a very long time. She has spearheaded many, many campaigns looking at the different aspects of lactation, including tongue ties. She's a filmmaker of a wonderful film called Untimed Breastfeeding, uh, which is which I have seen four times. And believe me, if I get a chance to see it again, I would. Each time, it touches me more profoundly than it does the time before. Uh, and I have a very personal story with it, which I will tell you in a minute. Uh, and also, she is now supporting aspiring lactation consultants through her academy. And she has a portal called Nourish and Nurture. And it is worth your while if you're looking to do anything with breastfeeding to look that up, to be in touch with her. And most of all, it would be a privilege to be mentored by her. Um, I just want to jump very briefly into that personal story about untying breastfeeding. We had a chance to screen it in Delhi. And while I was watching the film, I had a profound experience about understanding my relationship to breastfeeding, the fact that I'm a tongue-tie baby who didn't breastfeed, the fact that I breastfed my children, the fact that I felt uh, unexplainable frustration when I saw children struggle breastfeeding. And these are the different facets of my own experience as a person with a tongue-tie, as a baby with a tongue-tie who could not breastfeed. But that's another story and another conversation. So let's uh, get Yasmin to talk about how she came to be where she is today. Over Thank here. you so much, Divya. Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's just a moment to think about how um, how long we've come together. Actually, it's uh, just thinking about that. It's been a really long time, and uh, twelve years. Um, where back in twelve years, when I was a very young mother. Um, I hardly knew anything about any of the subjects we might be talking about today. Completely naive and uh, just going through pregnancy with my own, um, you know, little aspirations of how things are going to be like and how's the baby growing, just like any other mother. And through that journey, there were a lot of insights uh, through the experiences I was having, especially because uh, this was a this was a precious pregnancy for me. Uh, I've had uh, two miscarriages before this. And interestingly, Divya, if I have to share with you today, uh, there was one of them which I did not know it was a miscarriage. And I came to know about it much, much later, not because someone said it to me, but because when I experienced it, the time that I knew I was pregnant is when I realized it's actually the same thing that I had experienced a while ago. And despite the fact that we were in touch with care providers, um, it was sort of a feeling of um, being let down at that point of not knowing what I was going through. Yeah, so we've come a long way from that. Um, after birth, um, there were several things that I could not um, make sense of or rather process myself. And this was despite the fact that I didn't go to a, um, a childbirth education class or a breastfeeding class. I had not attended any of it. All the little thing that I used to read was on the internet. That was 12 years ago. So there's a lot more information today than it was back then, at least on the internet. 
And uh, there were these questions that kind of constantly bothered me about what was the experience of my birth? Why was it the way it was? Or just uh, sometimes I think it's not explainable in words. That's how it was. It was a feeling. It was a feeling that was not clear. And as I started to then uh, come in contact with women, especially the first time that I got in touch with was Lalech League, actually. Lalech League is an international organization which, with whom I've been working as well since that long. Um, initially, when I contacted them because I had some issues when I was trying to feed my baby, uh, I think it opened up a whole wide world for me uh, to connect with other women with similar experiences. And they were really grateful. Um, they were really grateful um, in, you know, just being in touch with me and contact, be in contact with me on the phone. And that, I'm very grateful for that. But I also felt that the same gratitude was coming from that organization because they were able to kind of reach out and support me during my journey at that point. And then came Birth, birth India. Uh, when I started connecting with you and Ruth and other women. And it was like a bits and pieces. And I started to kind of bring in some jigsaw puzzles in my, in my heart. And I started, um, I, I started to feel that there is, um, there is some sense that I need to make of my birth. There was something that I needed to put together, at least in my heart. And those pieces came together um, very beautifully over these years. Um, where some answers kind of made better sense to me, I would say, but there are lots of other questions. So each answer brings in many questions and I think that's the journey to be. And today it doesn't matter, uh, questions don't seem to matter so much as being more present to the experience. Just being that's present true. to the experience, right, Divya? That's, that's uh, true. It, and it just fell off. Those questions then start to just fall off especially because um, it's not more important to dig into those answers than to be more present to just to see what is going to come up with the experience that we have in the moment, just as we are having at this point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting that the questions that overwhelm us in the beginning of our journey yeah. uh, become kind of, uh, they kind of tickle your curiosity because you know that with these challenges and these questions, more answers, more beauty, more understanding will arise and it'll enrich your life. So it's kind of nice. But I find that a lot of women, including myself, have the same journey. Uh, we had our children thinking that birth is natural. There's nothing to find out, um, you know. And then I think our births have been a rude shock, kind of an awakening point in our lives. Our children are like our little gurus who put us on our new paths. Yes, absolutely. Right, absolutely. and I... I and I, and I also feel that, you know, the other day you were saying, uh, when we began, we were quite in parts. Oh, we must protect this part because this was my experience. And, and I'm sure it was the same for you. Yeah. Lactation became a very big part because that was my bigger challenge. And then uh, the other day I heard you say mothering through breastfeeding. And I, I kind of sat back and said, wow, uh, you know, how many people? get a chance to come from those fragmented bits of holding your own ground and protecting your domain to opening up to this idea of mothering through breastfeeding. And I know that a lot of women are challenged 
because of the way we fragmented information into breastfeeding, measurement, well-being of the baby. Everything is measured and quantified and put into boxes. So tell us a little bit about that. So this was again back uh, 12 years ago, if I remember it. Um, I used to be the person who, who would like to have everything um, sorted out in my mind, you know, sort of boxed into ideas about, okay, this is how it is. And this is the way it's supposed to mean. And this is how I can make it better. Because I didn't, I, I felt like I didn't have um, uh, the connect in the society to kind of see other people do that because the only person I had seen before was my younger sister who already had a baby at that point. And she had a little difficult, um, difficult time. And I saw her fall off the journey pretty early. And that was my imprint. You see, so those imprints are what we carry forward. And I also remember my own sister was born about six years younger to me and when I was six years old. So those impressions are also what I carry that my mother couldn't breastfeed her. Or of course, I didn't know the reasons at that point, but I do have the imprint that, okay, she was raised on, you know, um, whatever was available or whatever was recommended at that point, you know, the best that they can possibly do. So I had this idea that, you know, I must read um, how to make everything um, go fit into my life. That is where I came from. And there was this book that I picked up, which said Baby Whisperer. Now, I don't remember the name of the author, but it's a very famous I think book. It was, I think it's Peggy something. Yeah, something to do with that. It's a yeah, little book. Yeah. It's like this uh, little book that, that was there. And it was a very famous book. It was available everywhere on crossroads and things like that. So I picked it up. I was like, wow, this was really nice to kind of put everything into uh, a structured part of your life and make your life so structured that it almost seemed like a, a poster picture. Everything was like in order, you know, and you can run your life around that. And I, I was pretty fascinated by that and quite convinced, Divya. That was the main point. I think I felt very convinced about how the thought process was and how to sleep train your baby and how to make sure. So it's interesting that the author actually talks about importance of breastfeeding, but at the same time, having a certain kind of structure around it in terms of how you're mothering the baby or everything around it in terms of schedules and things like that. So I followed it quite a bit. And of course, with my own challenges at that point, um, I started, uh, it, it, it made me want to go inward to start looking at, you know, is this kind of matching up with what you really want to do? Or is this going to become more harder if I try to kind of take an imprint that's not resonating with me? You know, at that point, I remember my mom once uh, mentioned to me um, as a passing comment, she didn't really, um, I know, she didn't sit on my head to make sure that I understand because uh, the book that I was reading didn't really match up with the culture that we grew up in. It was a completely different culture, right? Yet it made sense to my mind. So um, she mentioned to me, babies are to be grown at the bosom, at the chest and the breast is what she mentioned. And I, um, I just told her off at that point. I said, mom, I know better. I know, I know what, what I'm doing, so let me be. And she just backed off. And, and then came another book, Divya, and I must tell you about that. Like I mentioned to you, I got in touch with Lalech League and that's how some of the um, you know, moral support that I needed at that point was really available from there. 
and the book's name is um, the art of Bre um, the art the woman the art of breastfeeding it's it's an absolutely brilliant book again there's a lot of information about breastfeeding but what struck me there was the resonation of what was written about how i can mother my baby or what my connection or what my relationship with my baby was to what my mother had mentioned and then I got rolled on, like it started to then resonate with my true self. I think I was trying to be on my head and then it moved down to my heart. That's where yeah. it was. Yeah. And then the whole journey changed for me. And what was uh, the discovery for me through this process is that I didn't have to look outward for any of the guidance that I needed. Um, I think my journey started when I started looking at my baby's eyes and having that connect. I think that's where it started uh, of that journey of relationship and relationships usually would um, develop with that connect with the eyes. I think that's where it begins. And often we don't seem to uh, be able to experience that a lot when we get busy with other things, Divya, for example, being busy on the on the forums or being busy on the phone or you know while you while you're breastfeeding your baby the first thing that comes to my mind is are we having a physical connect through your eyes because that's your mirror mirror to your heart and mirror to how i can learn about my baby there's a lot my baby was teaching me through that process right but along with that what i also discovered um, was we are often so caught up with looking at how much my baby's drinking, do I make notes about it? Because today, if you look at Divya, I have seen mothers who come to my clinic and they actually show me an app and a phone app where they log in the number of minutes the baby has been on each of the breasts and number of times during the day. It will be like something this like- This is very interesting. Nine, 9.06 to 9.37. So as you're saying this, there is this thought coming to saying we are more than the sum of parts. Oh, yes. <laughs> right. And it seems like we've taken a wholesome thing and actually broken it down into parts and got so much caught up with the parts that the wholesomeness is gone. Gone. Yes. So, so the paradox is that, uh, uh, you know, when we look at our baby, when we, the breastfeeding is a channel for mothering. And yeah. now breastfeeding is the detrimental part of, of mothering. Yeah. Now, so it's, how, kind it's a of No, Divya, it's more like a chore. Like I have to get things done and it needs to be in a certain way. And that's when my life is going to be structured. That's my perception. And I'm trying to fit that perception and trying to make it so technical about it that it's only about feeding. Now, that's interesting for me because what we are doing is building up the first pillar of trust with the baby. Yeah. Yeah. And that first pillar of trust is going to last a lifetime. And yeah. I think we're missing sometimes when we start to look at it this way. And I'm not, um, you know, it, we, if we stay from a non-judgmental space, I'm, I'm looking at it from an empathetic point of view of how the technology is kind of wrapping that entire motherhood into it by making it more measured and yeah. hoping that my breasts were made of glass, like I mentioned last time to you. 
like you know uh -huh. it has markings on them exactly the the amount of feeding the the baby is getting but it's more yeah. than nutrition and there are several conversations around this because that's when it then it can become that many mothers mm -hmm. start to get pump machines as gifts during the shower baby shower yeah, yeah. and yeah. where we are putting a seed of the confidence that a mother may you know it's a sort of um it's a sort of space where a mother might start to begin to doubt her own ability to connect and to nurture that baby mm -hmm. and which is why i have a problem even with the word breastfeeding because we are talking about a human part we are separated the breast from the mother yeah and then and the milk from the breast then the milk from the breast so, so we we're kind of bringing a lot of distance between the mother and the baby in terms of the breast and the milk yeah. and, and all these different yes. uh, categories like, yeah and like the industry is um, and the research amount of research that's there on breast milk is supported by this industry and many people do not know about it and when they come to this understanding this separation of what do i do i need to chase my supply constantly to keep making sure that my baby has enough milk i think it's more like a race today that you have exclusively fed babies and how long my baby is breastfed yeah but interestingly yeah. it's the very pressure of the measurement and chasing yeah. it is that's causing the failure on that breastfeeding yes and uh, diet because one of the things that is very supportive of mothers and baby breastfeeding is the state of mind of the mother the state of which mind is, <laughs> which is again in our fight and flight uh, you know yeah. literally the word chasing i i found it very interesting you use yeah. that and the chasing and that's one one of the things that struck to me is that i remember several mothers and i'll i'll talk about one of the mothers very predominantly i think because i think that resonates with the conversation we are having today so this young mother had a baby who who was um, you know unable to latch and feed and she reached out for help and she was very desperate and like most mothers are and the the baby was given feeding through a, a pallade you know the small um, yeah. the pallade they used to give a sort of a small indian cup they used to feed the baby and the baby didn't know how to how to even suck on a finger divya that's how it started the baby was about approximately 10 to 15 days when i met them and from there the journey began and she was in touch with me for almost for two years i must tell you and despite the fact that her breastfeeding was um you know fairly fairly in uh, you know in a direction that was more supportive but there were several other issues that were going on but her her mind was only at the fact that the baby was not exclusively fed in spite mm -hmm. of the fact that she breastfed the baby for about four years after that divya yeah so and the conversation around her it most of the time she would chat with me during the middle middle of the nights at that point and constantly have a chat around that and all the time she felt that she did not succeed in her breastfeeding because her idea of breastfeeding was making sure that the baby doesn't get any other milk besides hers and there was nothing else that mattered to her at that point mm -hmm. that's a tricky slippery slope right that's a tricky line to balance yes where do we say that this is the right thing to do and not the right thing to do so this whole right and wrong is another level of pressure for people it's and for the, where is the mother love? it's for the mother for her to decide um where am i coming from when i describe or 
set a goal for what is success for me in terms of connecting with my baby. And yeah, but then the, but they're talking breastfeeding, not connecting with the baby. So, uh, you know, I remember my husband's uh, grandmother used to be with me when I had my son. And I was reading a book about parenting. And she said, what are you doing all the time reading the book? Of course, she spoke Punjabi. And I said, well, I want to be the best mother. So she had that kind of look like, you know, what do you mean best mother? It's a superlative, which means you're comparing to other people. But your, your baby has only one mother. So don't not like he can have a choice. Yeah, not like he and can have Yeah, but also she what she really explained to me is that it's not about best mother, it's available mother or not available mother. Yeah. So if you're looking at the book, you're not looking at the baby. That's right. not available mother. That's not an available. And it made so much sense, like yeah. common sense, but it wasn't breastfeeding. She and, never, you know, she never talked about breastfeeding is something separately to do for the baby. Yes. Yes. She said, look at the baby, the baby will tell you. And that was the ease of breastfeeding yes. for me. That yes. was the ease of it. Yes. That I didn't approach myself in parts or the baby in parts. But I find that a lot around and I, I feel a lot of compassion. Um, I think we just need to have a, um, we need to have a paradigm that tells mothers that you're the, you're the only person your baby wants. Yeah. And they chose and you. can have, and can have. That's the truth of it. And eventually that mother did come back to me at a later point and said, everything that we had conversations about have been etched into my heart, Yasmin, because when I look back on those, everything makes sense to me today is what she kind of came on her own journey. But very quickly I realized to be other through the process that when you're, when you're connecting with your baby, while you're, uh, you know, mothering through breastfeeding, because it allows you to connect with your baby several times in a day, which means yeah. it gives me ability to read my baby. It gives me ability to understand the subtle cues my baby is giving me. And that only is possible if you get physical connection. And it's such a beautiful process because feeding or the, uh, you know, the milk, the mother's milk, actually passing on to the baby is a conversation I never have with most mothers because mm -hmm. that's just a part and parcel of the, you know, the love that then flows becomes the milk. I'm yeah. talking about the fact that there is the love building that happens through the yeah. country. I think that's yeah. more important. And as we connect, as we continue to do that, we then realized that later on in life, and I, I, I understand this um, from a very different perspective because I'm also dealing with mental health challenges with many things, with young children, with, um, you know, with um, adolescent or also adult people um, and through craniosacral divya. So where it comes back to is, do I have a connect with the trust factor because every relationship is based fundamentally on trust? whether it is with family members or whether it is with, a, with outside people, the society. And have I developed that? Is it something that is, that is strong enough for me to get through with issues that might be thrown at by life in my, in my journey, right? And very often I see that when I go back to their history or at least get back to, um, you know, coming back to the primal experiences that, that they might have had, like you were sharing, when you were watching the film, it was interesting that the imprint seems to be sometimes skewed and that connection hasn't happened, 
even if it's a breastfeeding mother, and I want to make that yeah. statement, I'm talking about not, I'm not talking about babies who have formula fed. No, I'm talking about any baby and mother com uh, connection that may have been skewed with any other experiences than based on love and trust. And if it is, it, if it's going by the bookish process, then what might happen is we are losing that field of making that deeper connection that allows us to then subtly look at the conversations that might happen later on in life. And yeah. very often aggressive behaviors will be seen in terms of passive aggressive behaviors usually seen later on because no one is able to read what am I trying to say. So it's the body language, Divya. 90% of our conversation is body language. What am I trying to say? And if I'm using words which match up with it, fantastic. But very often, it's not, it's not surprising for us to know that what we are saying is not really matching up with what, I'm, what my body is trying to say. But am I reading those cues as a mother? So that, that's where it goes back to that experience, the primal experience of breastfeeding, which allows me to read that body, body language. It teaches me yeah, about two years, yeah, two years, three years or four years. It seems like we're winning the battles. We are so busy fighting the battles that we're losing the war. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's a terrible analogy because yeah. basically we're saying is love is the field in which everything grows. Everything grows, yeah. In health, in yeah. health. Of course, everything grows in adaptation when there's a challenge and that may be great for a while. Right. But love is the field in which everything grows uh, in health, yes. including another human being. And that means both of them, Divya. So yeah. here what we start to do is when we start to read up a lot, what happens is then we become very baby-led. You know, the conversation around is about being baby-led. Everything is about the baby. And you often seem to forget that there is also the mother who is the human being, who is in the same field of love. Of course, she's the one who's offering that as her from from her space but we often forget that while she goes on in this journey with so much information going on outside and conflicting ideas of how things should be and how she should be mothering the baby what happens then is she's losing that field of being um you know the field of endurance the field of patience that come along with love i think that's what she get missed out then that starts yeah. to get missed out then. And, uh, um, you know, I just wanted to talk about this aspect of um, the overwhelming experiences mothers have during the toddlerhood. You know, my yeah. baby wakes up several times during the night. It's very frustrating for me. I'm becoming weaker. I, I go to work and I come back home and my baby needs to breastfeed. So every professional she's in touch with at that point, whether it's her nutritionist or, you know, just a dental doctor or her pediatrician everyone's making sure that she has to wean her baby and many yeah. women look for support right yeah. and yeah. why do they look for that it's it's because they, they believe that the challenges in their life or the overwhelm in their life is because of the breastfeeding and it's but interesting it's interesting when you start to listen they come back to start to reflect upon say oh i was this you know, my baby just breastfeed for about five minutes or 10 minutes and goes to sleep. So when I subtly ask them, do you wake up and have to walk around so that your baby can go back to freeze? No, that's not true. So you realize slowly that it's actually not 
really, how is it possible that a natural aspect of your life, which is a part of your life, then starts to make it overwhelming for you? And that's when we need to start to think what's going on in this relationship that needs to be. Because you're saying the word baby led, but actually it's not baby led. Not baby. We have now affixed and ascribed so many best protocols, what babies need, yes. that they're not really listening to babies. Yeah. That's if you truly look at it, uh, it's the same with natural birth and maybe also with breastfeeding. Is we're saying natural birth is best for babies, but we're not asking babies what their experience is while everybody is anxious and caught up and stuck yes. in these paradigms of best for baby. So it's not really baby led because I don't think any baby would look at his mother and say, I don't care, your life can go to hell, I need to be breastfed. Exactly. There isn't a baby on earth who would say that. In fact, their, their core quality is, so, is empathy, they're so empathetic that they're so tuned in with their mothers, their mother's distress is, is their distress. So in a way, we are spiraling back to distressing them in the name of doing good. Yes. And that's that outside the body paradigm that breastfeed, you have to breastfeed and you have to do this. Well, you know, mostly, sometimes when people say, I tell them what my grandmother said, that happy mother is a good mother. <laughs> Because she's a parent. And that's important, Divya, because we're not looking at that aspect of it because it's a relationship. And when it's a relationship, you got to look at both the aspects of, of that relationship. Who are the two people who are in love and what's going on in that love space? And if one is feeling overwhelmed, that could be a mother sometimes. And most often during toddlerhood, it is often the mother who's getting overwhelmed because she has so much else to take care of in her life. And you have a running baby who's constantly looking for the breast and connecting there. And she feels like, oh, if I don't wean now, probably this baby is going to go breastfeeding till the college. <laughs> yeah, many of the women, oh, is my baby ever going to like wean? Like that's the kind of uh, approach they might have. And that's why the culturally many of the, um, I, I don't know whether it happens in other culture or not, but they apply like, you know, the bitter, um, you know, bitter uh, portions on the breast so that you can wean your baby or go and sleep in a different room or leave the baby to someone but else to take care of. But those are all separations from the baby that increases the anxiety. Exactly. And we often forget that the field of trust that we have created in the beginning, yeah. uh, where are we leading that into, Divya? I think that uh, nobody really looks at it. And I don't think many of us even have conversations about it, which is the reason I, I love that you picked this topic up, even though we just had a little conversation about it in our previous conversation. You said, no, this is a very important thing, Yes, let's talk important. about it. And I think this is the field of trust that we need to kind of establish back in, the subject of breastfeeding mm -hmm. and often it's not talked about and it's also reflective of the society and how women see themselves i am good enough yes as i am right i am worthy of my own interest my own love my own respect mm -hmm. and my own self-worth including in breastfeeding and you know being a mother and things like that why not why so not? that's I, I mean that's a really important point i i'd like to make but also mechanisms of mothering you know through breastfeeding so it's not just the latching on i'd love for you to talk about that that eye to eye connect what happens when the skin to skin connect is there 
all those hormones that are you know good to make milk and deliver the milk are also doing other things yes and how it ties in with both their health let's talk a little bit about that because you know we're talking about see the mechanism is pretty clear divya many people read about it say okay baby's connecting at the breast there's a skin to skin connect happening there and there is often that um you know basic or fundamental parameters in the body which is your warmth the body warmth the oxygenation that's there or the oxytocin that's getting released so all of these are going to be conducive for that connect to happen but that's the science of it that's one part of it which people read about but what we don't understand or sometimes are not being oriented to is because of our own imprints that we have in life right so we are going to project it just like it happened with me now i didn't understand it until i started to tune in with myself and there's a sense of self autonomy that we all need to carry within us that guides us through our life into um you know clarity clarity of path in life clarity of um thought which what we choose in life all this is coming back to what do i do uh, as a field that i can offer through breastfeeding to my baby i think that's what is establishing their um uh, divya and that is very important i think that connect is the main important part that we need to talk about now it's it's a relationship and i want to keep coming back to this point because if it is a relationship it's a two way process yeah it's never going to be one it's not about oh i'm going to kill myself because i need to breastfeed and many of us actually put the mothers through that process by making sure that they have a, a competition a race that they need to meet up with like you know if if breastfeeding is important and we know the nutrition is important and then we forget that there is a larger part of who you are as a human being and we need to see that and we set them against our industry which is not okay and i think that that's me that fragmentation has to come back to being whole again once we start to become whole again then she starts to think that this is actually a mothering tool that's given to be my nature by by nature that makes my life easier that's the joy of breastfeeding i think joys of breastfeeding are more important to talk about than you know the challenges that might come with us of course there are going to be some challenges and some others do go through that but when we start to go back to this paradigm i think the paradigm or the realm in which the connection happens it's love making honestly we need to go back to talking about love making with your baby and which is the reason why um you know the the intimacy that will come through this process allows me to read and understand this other human being who's growing up with me and also guiding through the breastfeeding which is another beautiful part of it which people talk about discipline as they grow up and say yeah, yeah. will they understand have we forgotten that the first interaction or the social lesson a baby learns is through breastfeeding yeah. Yeah. Uh, to understand empathy how am i empathizing with my mother's needs for example playfulness yes the i mean social skills exactly and so if a, if a baby is like um, just about to bite during the time of teething which many mothers will be afraid of saying oh my god i'm going to have a bite and my baby is biting me during the time of teething process that's the first beautiful lesson a baby learns that this is a boundary. human being and therefore i need to be gentle with that there's boundaries boundaries beautiful boundaries start to come right there and if we see this as the field of that i think it, that whole journey will just have a huge turn around uh, divya
huge turnaround to um, you know connect with a baby in a completely different level then to see that this is the connection the, that baby is going to grow up to make with other people am i going to respect the autonomy of another person's body the abuse that happens in later on in life for young girls and you know men boys. as well boys boys girls there's absolutely no difference in that but how have we learned to respect someone's boundaries that comes through breastfeeding because i've learned that my mother is a person she's a human being and her breasts are not meant to be for me to abuse i think the first lesson of you know keeping that boundary and respecting someone's body comes through breastfeeding divya and that's the beauty of it and that starts from there and then as the babies are you know kind of toddlers um you, you know there's sometimes the other lessons are you know how do i keep boundaries to knowing that someone else has a life that's another part right so if a mother is busy shopping or she's you know with the child but you know on the move or working for that matter the the conversation between them could be about you know mom is right now very yes, busy yes. um you know yes. so the baby learns many other social uh, lessons at that point which is life skills so let's say can i respect uh, the boundary of time that this is a time that is more appropriate for the mother that i'm willing to show patience um i'm willing to learn uh, learn that there's a time for everything and i'm ready to wait for that it's not, um, but it's, also remember that it's coming from a relationship that the baby knows that my needs will be met by this yes. person because exactly. that's my experience from yes. the beginning yes from the so beginning that's the trusting thing that's yeah. a trusting factor and because i've i've built the trust i'm willing to wait and where i think it's a very important life skill divya because where in this world at this point with so so much of instant gratification that we have that goes on with technology that you know you you put in a request of a question on a whatsapp and you expect it to be responded to almost immediately and in this life i think this is a very important life skill to to learn to be willing to wait until your needs are being met as well i think it's but a, also to be able to yes to be able most to. of us don't have that skill anymore because mm-hmm. our need for instant gratification also arises from our insecurity of knowing whether it will be met or not exactly yes so, so we I'm, are always seeking that always seeking that and that satisfied that complete contentment in relationship that uh, that uh, that knowing that your needs are going to be met and your uh, you know you're le- learning the lesson of patience and learning the le- lesson of having boundaries of support with your relationship and your so that two way process i think it's a if you ask me it's a beautiful lesson for marriage later on divya really or life or <laughs> community society society everyone connect but i think more often the marriage i think yes. marriage is is that Trusting kind of, someone i think the other um, intimate relationship that you have in life uh, besides the mother and the child is the husband and wife that kind of um, in a in the close space really intimate connections that happen there and very often our uh, imprints that may not that may be dysfunctional often get thrown up in those relationships that are really intimate and those start to come back uh, you know they start to kind of reflect back to what did i experience when i was a baby and it's uh, one another thing that makes me remind reminds me about this in this conversation divya 
I had a mother who was being supported um, at almost what eight years ago, I think, from one of the cities in uh, in India, and uh, she was um, a uh, she was a mother who who was not um, you know uh, who who was not from India. She was married to an Indian though, and she had some really um, you know huge challenges um, during the breastfeeding period, and she had three three children, and first two she couldn't breastfeed, and she was. Um, very, very keen to make sure that she has to connect with the third child. And when she was going through this difficult time and there were some key decisions to make for her, I remember her husband calling me up once and he said, if I'm going to divorce my wife, it's going to be because of you. Because of you. Because of me. And um, why do I, uh, why, why, why did I bring this up? Uh, the reason is Divya because I've seen very often the most dysfunctional patterns in relationships often brew up and start to show up during the breastfeeding phase between the couple. Postpartum. Postpartum. Postpartum it starts to come up. And things that you were never knew before will often be touched upon during that very vulnerable period, postpartum during the breastfeeding phase. And many of those issues will come up, especially because, um, and if, a lot of the disconnect also happens at that point between the couples. Everything seems okay before this. Everything was like a honeymoon period, but now it's not because this is the test of reality of your relationships in life. And it goes <laughs> back to the imprints that we are trying to play up of our own imprints in life about, did I have that connect and trust with my own mother? And did I have that field of, um, you know, the field of... Um, deeper uh, process of autonomy. I think that that comes back to me is about, did I establish my sense of presence in this life? And that often is, um, you know, it's of, often the, the cementing process is that three to four years of breastfeeding. It's a beautiful long process. And it's not so much like the birth and, uh, you know, pregnancy because there's a set time to that. But breastfeeding is, is, is a longer field. It's a, it's, a pro, it's, a, it's a process of life. And it builds all these, um, all these life skills through that process, Divya. And that's what I wanted to share at this point. There are many others. Yes. Go ahead. But Go ahead. here is a, a point that I want to kind of say, in, in, and it, it kind of cements the point you're making, but I'm going, going to give you a different perspective. Of women who don't breastfeed can still be have a connect as a mother. Yes, because we're telling women that you must breastfeed for mothering, for the connection. You know, when you breastfeed, you'll have a connection with your baby. But it is a connection with your baby that eases breastfeeding. Yes. So we're saying it the other way around. Yes. And I had a tongue tie and I couldn't breastfeed. But my mother was a hands-on mother. There was a lot of holding. There was a lot of uh, sleeping. Uh, even even when um, I think that beautiful connection. Uh, so I, it, there is no one way of saying that this is the not right all, thing to not do. Not at all. Um, so you know. So, so what I'm hearing from you is the biological process that will arise when woman and come into relationship, and that will happen. And uh, so we can't approach motherhood through breastfeeding, but no. mothering will enhance breastfeeding automatically. 
Yes. That's what we're saying. Oh, and that also happens, uh, Divya, because mothers who are actually, uh, you know, trying to seek support for, um, you know, induced lactation during the time of process of the adoption, they often come, uh, they, they wish to breastfeed their babies. And again, it's because of the connecting things like that. The first thing that we establish is that what is your goal through breastfeeding? What would you wish to do with it? So often it is not more the, you know, the fact that I have to give nutrition to the baby, which is just a, a part of it, but more the connection, you know, the connection that will come with it or it will facilitate my process of bringing the person who I am into becoming the mother. So that's what they are hoping for. And I often tell them that, you know, it doesn't matter if your breast is even making one drop or not, but get that baby to come and be close to you. That's going to allow you to kind of, you know, build that relationship again. I, I remember we were having a conversation. I was doing training for a mom that you had referred to me in Delhi. Mm -hmm. And they were having some trouble with breastfeeding and low milk supply. Yeah. And it was a, a few years ago when we had just started in our journey with Cranio and you had said something that let the baby have some at breast time. Yes. You were supporting them with a supplemental system. Yes. And even though it wasn't breast milk, there was a connection between the baby and the mother because the, baby, the mother would hold the baby. She would talk. It was a little bit. And the baby would actually pay attention to the mother than being distant. So there are so many ways to approach it. Yes. But we really can't color them right and wrong. And, and you know, I love the idea that you said yes. that yes. your mothering and then breastfeeding is a part, is, is an extension of that mothering, not the other way around. You're not achieving motherhood through yeah. breastfeeding, but breastfeeding is something that arises when you come into connection. That is wonderful. Yeah. Um, wow, we've been speaking for a while and... Um, uh, um, even when you're giving the bottle, Divya, I think that's also important for mothers to know because they're not aware of it. Even if you have to give a bottle, for example, there may be some circumstances where you may need to use a bottle. I would often tell the mothers that open your breast up, get the baby to connect with you while you are nursing the baby using a bottle. And, you know, that's another thing that mothers can do if they are in a situation where they need to do that, very quickly it gets fragmented. That's the problem with, with the issue of having to, uh, you know, uh, give a nurse, nursing the baby through a bottle. You often hand the baby over to someone else perhaps because everyone else can then share the baby while feeding. But what if, if we can retain that connection back where you're actually taking the baby to the breast and using a bottle to breastfeed a baby if you have to, and you continue to nurse the baby with the bottle at the breast. So basically the heroism is not, the valor is not in the breastfeeding measurements of time and durations, but the reward of breastfeeding is in the connection in, yes. itself. in itself. And every woman has it within her to have that connection oh, uh, and breastfeeding is a part of it. This is what I'm hearing from you. And I think this message really needs to go out strong because a lot of women able-bodied, healthy women with good relations with their children, possibility of abundance of milk are being pressurized and going into a negative spiral just simply by not understanding the larger picture yes. of what they are already. They don't have to do anything, but they are already, which is the mother of the child. That's true. Yes. Okay. Okay. 
um, so uh, we have uh, we also have some questions coming in, and so one of the bigger ones that come in is the C-section. Yes. Uh, what would be a let's say uh, let's say a, a, a remedy, a restore paradigm, or a repair paradigm for a mother because so what would you say i mean how do we support a mom so that she can support her i'm sorry divya your voice was breaking a bit if you can just um, you know restate your question please Yasmin, just give a give yeah, it Sometimes my internet may be still hearing you, so. Oh, I didn't realize. Divya, your screen was frozen and we couldn't hear you. Yes. No, I can number. hear you still. I, I, I can hear you still. Yeah, yeah, if you can restate your question again, Divya, because your voice was not clear for me. Yeah, so, you know, I was saying that when we are talking about this intimacy between or the connection, which is highly physical, mm -hmm. C-section pose problems, um, Yasmin. They could be because of the physicality of it. It's, an, yes. it's a huge uh, surgery and that distance. It could be also because C-sections aren't uh, a natural flow of the baby's intention to be born. Sometimes they are scheduled. Yeah, and that is also yet another developmental challenge for the baby to overcome. So. Mm -hmm. I'd like love you to talk a little bit about that. So there are some, like you mentioned, uh, because of the process and because of the procedure that the mother has to go through, there is a repercussion to the sequence that follows with it, Divya. And very often it's to do with the first aspect that I noticed that is the separation that happens between the mother and baby. And they both are in a state of distress. And if it is... Um, it's a, this is something that we can plan. I think it, it, it is possible for us to bring that restore paradigm back if we understand the sequence and where the sequence is actually breaking. And very often we are disconnected with the idea that, oh, this is like a natural process and that's, that's okay. But I think we recognizing that is the first point, that there is a sequence that's breaking down here and what can be done about it if we are, ahead of time if we already know about it, which often happens if you do a prenatal uh, you know, connection with the, with the family when they, when they do that, so that they can kind of have an arrangement with their caregivers, that this is how I like it to be if I'm going to be having to go through an elective cesarean or an emergency cesarean, what are my process that I need to restore back? First thing, can I reduce the amount of time that uh, my baby will be separated from me. And interestingly, there is evidence that clearly shows that it takes very little planning, Divya, to be able to restore that aspect of separation. It, it's not by design that we need to separate the mother and baby. It's possible for us to do as much as possible to try and retain that connection between mother and baby. A few protocols that need to be changed, that's all. The second thing is that very often the mother's body has gone into a shutdown process or a sequence that has not followed in where her colostrum, which is the first milk that appears in the breast, is often not accessible or not given to the baby at that point. And I'll tell you how the sequence works. 
the nurse comes into the recovery room and, and I have had this experience personally, so I can tell you. So they just come into the recovery room while you're just in that whole state of groggy, foggy kind of mind. And the whole body is going through a process there where they're stitching, stitching you up or you're just in the room that waiting to be, you know, wheeled into your own room. What might happen is the nurse might quickly come in, um, open up your breast, pinch it up to see whether there is any drop or not. And then she says, oh, she declares. And I can tell you, immense amount of number of women would resonate with what I'm saying. They would declare, oh, there is no milk. We'll come back later. Or maybe, you know, it can happen maybe two days. Oh, it's a cesarean section. It's never going to be there. Your milk is never going to be there. And we need to go back to understanding that your breast milk starts to be produced in the breast in the second trimester of your pregnancy, not mm -hmm. after birth. Because nature is not deceiving, Divya. Nature is always in abundance. So nature always prepares food first, where nutrition and nurturing is well taken care of before the baby will be born. So the process is not the other way around, but it is before that. So when, if it is already that, then what would happen at that point is that you may not have access to the viscous fluid of colostrum because of the nature of the process the mother has gone through. And often it's to do with the fluids that, that are being injected through the IV line to the mother's tibia. And your body gets a bit distended and you don't have access to that. So what can help? I remember this. I remember. He had a very big course. Yeah, this was a very big uh, learning for me sometime earlier in my career when I had a mom who had had a C-section and she was in this excruciating pain when the baby would come to the breast. And then you showed me something very interesting, which you said you use your fingers, yes. spread them out. <laughs> yeah. And what was a reverse That's pressure? True. Reverse pressure softening. And I think every yeah. mother should be aware of it, especially because we are unable to, um, you know, while we go through this process of trying to avoid or have a plan of the birth, <laughs> while we go through that, we do need to be aware of what if if I have to go through the process the way it may not be in my, I have not envisaged my birth to be this way. So being prepared, I think really helps. One of the first things every mother should learn is what is reverse pressure softening. So it is a simple process of making the fluids in the system or in your breast to go back into its channels, which is basically your lymphatic system, Divya. So the lymphatic system is pumping in, you know, and the blood flow is pumping in, into your breast. So we have to remember what's going on in the body. So when that's happening, the lymphatic system doesn't have an opening in your breast. It has to drain back into your system. Backwards. So if I have to go back into the system, the simple thing to do is to use your fingers on the darker portion of your breast, closer to your nipple at the base of the nipple to gently give a pressure towards the chest wall, Divya. It's a beautiful, uh, easy way to understand that. So if you send the entire fluid system to settle down and go back, immediately you have access to cholesterol. Yeah. And that, uh, you know, that can, you know, elevate that process of having to wait for 24 hours or 48 hours for starting to breastfeed your baby. So I think every mother should know about it. That's the thing. And then I also feel that it's important for mothers to know that 
in the hospital when you're there for about three to four days, which is often the case during the cesarean section, or maybe sometimes five days, you know, if that you do have to be there, you don't have, you don't have anything else to do, but to just be resting, right? Why not do continuous as many hours of skin to skin contact with the baby? Yeah. And I've seen, I visited a hospital. I had a mother who, you know, who said, yeah, I would love to uh, do a skin to skin touch with the baby. And I, I, I picked the baby up from the cradle, which was right next to her. And I gave the baby to her and the baby was on her. This nurse comes in and says, oh, this baby is going to be cold. So she picks the baby up, wraps the baby up again and puts the baby in the cradle and walks off. So we, do, we don't want to come to a place where we have to have a confrontation with every process that's there. What simply can be done, Divya, is when the staff moves away, you continue to do skin to skin again. Yeah. You know, we just have to work around because what's important is to connect. That's what is important. So I think the, the, yeah. the dealing that happens during birth, especially with the cesarean section, can be reduced and restored back when we bring back the paradigm of knowing that the baby's habitat is the mother's body. Mother. Well said. Yeah, so we bring the baby back to the habitat and the connection then starts to again build up. And the cycle, then, the rhythm, the beautiful rhythm between the mother and baby starts to then starts to form there. And, if and I think that's true at any point. The restore is bringing the mother and baby back. And at any given point um, can happen, Divya, because yeah. like we often know during the process of you know, learning our craniosacral work, we learned that the health is present in the moment, in the now. So even if something has gone by, which may not be the most conducive, but that's life. And if it is life, does it mean that we have lost in the process, in the sequence? It seems like it's not because any given moment can be your starting point of restoration. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful paradigm to, to, to approach life with because a lot is being lost in trying to uh, just control everything yes. to get, get it perfect at every moment. So we're only trying to get it perfect, but we're not really living. Now we have one question that is about a tongue tie and a, a, a lip tie. And we, I don't think we can ever have any conversation without that coming up. And in my heart, I know what your answer is, but I'm going to ask you the question anyways, because when you say it sounds way better. So should a baby have a, a frenulum cut if they have a tongue tie? Broad statement here for you. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like that needs a, a, a couple of more hours, Divya, for us to try and get that answer. But um, there is no straight answer to that. We need to look at, um, again, we are going back to the connect, right? We are, we are looking at, is this preventing the baby from feeling the sense of connect that the baby should have, which is the basic competency? A baby is, is born with the basic competency to make that connect through the breast at birth. And if that is not, um, if the tongue tie is preventing that process and sending the baby into a state of um, confusion and distress, constantly where the baby is not you know baby comes to the breast and confused and crying and saying okay i don't know what to do here what do what am i supposed to do if that's happening then yes we do need to look at if this is the structure that's preventing it then 
the answer would be that it will be supportive for the baby to be given back those paradigms so the baby can do what the baby so should do i want i want to share something that we had talked of when we were looking at this and when we had first started to do tongue ties and you know everybody's talking about it and it's like cut cut snip snip everything is going to be fine again you know it was like you know it's one cut and you're going to go back to the ideal situation right. and i remember you saying is don't look at the problem look at the functionality yeah the baby is functional don't do anything yeah. so i didn't have breastfeeding i have a tongue tie and then after i spoke late in life but thereafter there was no problem so i first got my tongue tie diagnosed by yasmin and supported uh, in the cut at 44 years of age <laughs> Right. and maybe i did and i could articulate really well i mean i, I was a late speaker but i could speak clearly right. so the functionality after my breastfeeding was over i did breastfeed and there was no particular reason to touch it till i had a problem and then i diagnosed it and then, so i remember you talking about so functionality functions, which is the lens of the health functions now we do need to see what 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 does the breastfeeding then become as as a diagnostic tool for you the every behavior at the breast for the baby teaches us then what are those um in a compensations the baby is doing to be able to you know have the basic uh, process of developmental and growth and mothers are watching it often you know they're reading it it's beautiful because when i'm talking to them they are often bringing in everything you don't have to really diagnose anything they really know everything as mothers they're watching it but they're going to put it in in a in a sort of an experience but you're going to read that into the clinical aspect of it to say okay this is what she's meaning by what she's watching so we're looking at those functions like i like divya was mentioning speech is one of it but there are 10 other functions i can talk about which is sucking swallowing breathing digestion elimination posture balance speech dental growth so you know there are so many facets to that so all of this is being supported through the act of breastfeeding and if the if it's preventing the baby from establishing any of those functions which is going to be supportive throughout life then the answer is how can we support the baby to restore that function and tongue tie release can be just a small part of it an important but a small part of it. but many other things then need to be supported around it as well and that's another conversation like now yes but it's a very comprehensive it's comprehensive yes i know but the, but but you've said it very comprehensively that we're looking at many different functions not only in a tongue tie but we're also saying that breastfeeding is yes. doing all of this to the for the baby as function as well yes where tongue tie may be a uh, a hindrance Okay, we have another question that says, "Do you think there is a way to offer this kind of basic breastfeeding training to nursing school via nursing council of India?" Oh my God! Oh my and, God! Is, and if, can nurses and in a, hospitals be given? <laughs> Now, is this an opportunity? As is, it's if it's a is if this is coming as an invitation? Absolutely, I think we should just grab that uh, opportunity, uh, so we can kind of. The, I think. nurses are in a very crucial space to be able to offer this fantastic support for the you know they are the first line of um, caregivers that mothers will come through 
basically and if mothers uh, if nurses can um, you know understand this aspect and be given the training for it nothing like it divya i think it will be a um, game changer if uh, if you ask me that's going to be the game changer so i don't know whether this is an opportunity but it sounds like a wonderful intention oh, and yes. i know how strongly you feel yeah, about intention. intentions yes 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 absolutely yes intention uh, starting with intention even if somebody is now i'm not sure who's given the question is it coming from a mother or is it coming really from the nursing council either either which i think the intention is absolutely beautiful and great opportunity for us to restore that um, you know paradigm of caregiving actually <laughs> you know the paradigm of caregiving i think that's also very crucial isn't it yeah. it's coming from neha we all know neha yeah okay lovely <laughs> yeah lovely yeah. neha thank you for that thank you for but yes so even if it's not an opportunity i think with neha neha feels very strongly about this but after bad support for moms so i think it yes. that's coming from there so it's a wonderful intention yeah and i think yes. yasmin is all on board with that intention all on board well. yes yes <laughs> that's true so um okay um we might have a few more questions let's give it a few minutes uh it's as always it's i mean time is of no import when we are having a conversation i think and i just want to bring out some of the things that came up today and i think that that would be uh, like a a thread a red thread through our conversations in august we're talking about relationship we're talking about trust we're talking about experiences uh, so we're talking about these things through birth and 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 babies and breastfeeding and mothering that are the substratum of our human existence but unfortunately with the science and the specialization we have broken it down into small parts um okay so ruchita who's also a, a supporting breastfeeding moms says does reverse pressure softening help in engorgement oh absolutely it does yes so that's your first line of sos work that any caregiver must have while uh, you know uh, supporting mothers immediate postpartum something that they can continue to do for about 10 to 15 days engorgement can be beautifully handled with um, reverse pressure softening it can be uh, given to mothers who are dealing with pain during breastfeeding you know so um, it allows the entire breast and the areola the uh, the darker portion where the baby actually attaches uh, also to become more easily available for the baby even if the baby has had some difficult time during birth because those muscles could be a bit tight they are sometimes you know so these muscles could be holding up a tension pattern so if they are holding that way they may not be able to open up their jaws very well and do what is required you know they get distressed because they are wired to go there and if they are not able to their bodies are not supporting them um it is more distressing so this can facilitate that process you know uh, where engorgement um, is something most mothers i think if the baby and mother are left to be with each other most hours of the day during the hospital stay uh and this is practiced by dr neil bergman uh for premature babies divya and 24 hours the baby the kangaroo mother care where babies are actually attached to the mother 24 hours a day which means the mother is facilitated to have a food to go use her you know the washroom if she needs to Uh, or even give phototherapy for the baby everything on the mother's body 
So if that is possible, maybe this will also kind of start to restore that even if it's not a premature baby. Is my but it's interesting, no? It's good for the premature baby, but once the baby is full term, he's grown up enough to not need as a mother at all. Let's take the baby away. <laughs> yeah, but this will actually be a, a, a interesting to see that if we did this continuous process of mother and baby being together and a cycle of uh, the rhythm that the uh, you know the sleep and feed cycle that happens, the connect feed and sleep cycle that may start to sink in between mother and baby. I would wonder, Divya, that do will we actually see engorgement on day two or day three, the way the mothers go um, through? Um, the few people who I've seen do it, uh, in my limited experience, I have not seen. That makes me wonder why some women have so much engorgement and others don't. But you also have to look at how they're coming there. That's there are right. many things. So it's it's. Engorgement is nature's way of producing abundance. But if you're already signaling to the body, then it's already, it's dynamic, you know. I know you and I both like to use this word, it's biodynamic in nature. Yes. It is already responding to whatever the stimuli yeah. uh, the baby is offering to the mother's body in terms of I'm here. That's right. Uh, versus when she, the baby separated or scheduled or you know three hour i mean doctors prescribe breastfeeding also like medical prescriptions three hours <laughs> 15 minutes three hours but it's a signal like you mentioned that it's it's a you know there's a small gentle process of starting from the colostrum into transitioning into mature milk and that is yeah. a very gradual process divya nothing yeah. nothing yeah. in nature can be like a tsunami you know it's not a switch it's not a switch it's not a switch and it can't be like a, a you know regular event but it's going yeah. to be a gradual process the, uh, the engorgement often happens because the sequence has been meddled with or has not been respected let's put yeah. it that way. i think the word respect is more important that we're not respecting that fragile uh, balance between mother and baby and that's when a mother would experience uh, engorgement yeah because the mother and baby are separated. The second thing what also will be happening is because often these mothers are given uh, galactagog medications during the first two days and then expecting- Tsunami, then tsunami. The tsunami. <laughs> yeah, and then expecting the tsunami. And, and then we are surprised why the tsunami actually happened. Yeah. You know, so that whole sequence, I think needs to be, Reevaluated. The protocols have to be reevaluated, rethought about, and go back to sinking in. So, what's going on here? If this is a sequence, and if this sequence, so it becomes very technical when you read about breastfeeding, uh, you know, science or the anatomy of the breast. I think we become extremely labeled about everything, Divya. I think that's where yeah. we miss the yeah. point. You know, we let's yeah. restore yeah. the rest. Let's restore the breast back into the mother's chest. And leave the mother to kind of handle and that. The, and the baby on the chest. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So let's just yeah. bring that wholeness back, and everything. A lot of it will just um, settle settle in there as well. And, and and the doula in me says that with our words, with our eyes, with our hearts, with our hands, with our attitude, tell that mother she's got it. Yes. Yeah. Not tell her that oh you don't you don't just drop the word don't. And say, yeah, you got it. 
you're the best mother this baby can have. It's not like a choice. That's right, yes. Maybe just those simple things that the women did um, uh, instinctively, nurturing leave to other women with other women. Yeah. Maybe it's just that. We just need to kind of stop being in our head so much and just be women, you know. Um, okay, so Tanvi is telling me that it's time, but she's also telling me one last question, and that is, does toddlers wean themselves from breastfeeding? Oh my God, that's that's a classic question. Have we talked about it? Babies are going to no go question to before that. Yeah. They go to the college. <laughs> yeah, so that's a very classic question. Then. So if again we go back to our sense of rhythm uh, between the mother and baby, and rhythm of life for that matter not just to connect between the mother and baby, but just the rhythm of your life, you're going to grow into each stage of your life from being an infant to being a toddler, to being a child and to being an adolescent and moving on to becoming an adult and then the elderly. So that's the seasons of life, I would say. So yeah. as you move yeah, through the, life, and as you move- There's a prequel to the question. There's a prequel yeah. to the question. What's the prequel? But I wanted you to talk about the rhythm before I read the prequel. And it says, my daughter is one year and one month old and she prefers right. breastfeeding to other food and asks for it often. I've been told to feed her solids and she's underweight. What would be the right thing to do? It's again, that right thing to do, the weight right of it. Thing to do. Yeah. I, I think there are several things. I think this mother already has the answer because I believe that most mothers do have the answer. Um, that you're looking, you know, this, this needs me to go back to function, Divya, because she's talking specifically about a baby who's underweight, right? And she's concerned that I'm, I'm, I'm forced to kind of think that I have to give some solids because my baby's underweight and the baby is not taking solids because the baby's on the breast. That's the whole conversation there. So let's go back to, that conversation about, uh, about function. Now, if this baby is having difficulty to move through the cycles of growth, which often happens with exclusive breastfeeding to a combination of solids and breastfeeding, and that's how it should be because it's a part of the process of growth. And if that's not happening, imagine if the baby was not not even having access to the first element of it, which is breastfeeding. What if the baby did not have even that process of it uh, being available at all for the baby? What would happen to that baby? Instead of thinking, going back to saying that because of breastfeeding, my baby is not having solids. If that's fundamental and if that's normal and if that's biological and if that's the norm and if that is the uh, fundamental uh, you know, um, function of a baby, then would that question even come? The answer then the answer then will lie in that inquiry, Divya. The answer will then lie in the inquiry to see what can I support this baby to be able to then move through the growth process rather than take the even the basic support. Like I'm having to, if I cannot walk and I have a sprain or I'm having difficulty, I'm going to take the support of the wall or support of a stick, Divya. But if you're going to take that away from me without restoring Not my function, me. how am I going to function in life? Yeah. You know? So what I'm hearing you say is that it needs a deeper look. This yeah. baby is coming to the breast often. There is something that 
that he, the baby values at the breast and yet is not able to gain weight and move through cycles to, to take to solid food. So there is a need for an inquiry to what is going on rather than saying one against the other, do this or don't do that, That's which is again an imposition both on the mother and the baby. Yes. Which therefore the question, this is what I heard you say. That's right. Yeah. So if, right. if, if the, if you already know that the breastfeeding is the, you know, first support for the baby, then how do we then start to think that it, it may be the culprit of every other issue that might come later? Like you, you, we are actually in dictot, you know, it, we are kind of splitting our minds to, in two minds there. Because one, you're saying that this is how it's supposed to be, but for some reason at some, uh, at some point in life, then it becomes invalidated. You're validating and then invalidating it. So I think that's a very confusing process in life. And if we go from that process, I think everything can be looked at it from that yeah. angle, Divya. And then the entire, um, I think the trust yes. starts to become then weaned off, you know, you start to, um, yeah, the process of trusting in life then becomes a very questionable aspect, you know, we cannot trust them. If we continue to invalidate experiences, you know, Yeah, yeah, I get it. So uh, we're gonna invite you to general prescription to, it is very specific to the baby and to you. Uh, and we are really over time. So all I can say, and I can't say this enough, but all I can say is thank you very much, Yasmin. Uh, with a little bit of technical glitches at my end, this was just the conversation I was hoping we will have. And I hope that we have many, many more of these from my child first. Thank you so much for joining us today uh, at CoffeeCon 2020. Thank you so much. And all this month, we don't know which dates, those are up on our calendar, but most of this month, we are going to bring in people to have such conversations because I think this world of babies and birth needs. Thank you very much and good night. Thank you so much and good night.